Mud Stories, Episode 68. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I feel like there's a place in your life where the only way that you can look is up to God. And when we were sitting there with her in the NICU, that's all we had to cling to is each other and to God. So we did, and I feel like this entire experience over the last four years has only strengthened our marriage and only strengthened our faith. We know that her life and our lives are in His hands. And because of that, we can find strength in Him through all of the suffering, um, the different surgeries and infections and just plain hardships. We know that He is there with us. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friend, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be joining you again. And if this is the first time you've joined me here at the podcast, I just want to extend a big, huge welcome to you. I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that this episode will be the encouragement that you need to face whatever mud it is that you're facing in your life. Here in the United States this week, we are anticipating the celebration of Thanksgiving next week. And wherever you are in the world, I hope you will join us in focusing our minds and our hearts on what it is we can give thanks for, because there's so many things that are hard. There's so many things we're facing that we wish weren't so. But Thanksgiving is a choice, and giving thanks is a discipline that we can cultivate year-round that helps us focus and notice on those things that we can be thankful for. And really what ends up happening is we experience joy when we do that. And so uh, let's work together this week. And I'm super excited about my guest today because I think she does this so beautifully. She has displayed an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude through her story. And I think it's going to shine through. Uh, Today, I am talking with Courtney Westlake. And Courtney and I recorded this conversation a few months ago. And I've been waiting for the perfect time to, you know, release it to you. And I can't be more convinced that now is the right time for you to hear Courtney's story. And so Courtney is a mom to two beautiful children. She's the wife to Evan, and she holds a degree in journalism from the University of Illinois. So she's a writer. She's a soon-to-be author of her very first book out next year. And she's a native of central Illinois. So she's a Midwest girl and has an affinity for country music, boating, reading, and she loves Cool Ranch Doritos. And so Courtney has a blog entitled Blessed by Brenna, and her story I think is going to move you and change you in the ways that she has met adversity. Courtney experienced a life-changing circumstance when her daughter Brenna was born, and the journey through those days after her birth and in the years to come have been a challenge, she will not deny. But there is so much she's learned and so much God has taught her. God has met her in those hard places, and she's here to share her story with with you. And I'm so very glad she did. And so um, it's my greatest hope that you would see the hope that we all have as we choose gratitude, even in the hard things. And it's my prayer that Courtney's story will bless you as much as it blessed me. And so I will catch you on the other side. Without further delay, here is my conversation with Courtney Westlake. Enjoy. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for saying yes. Oh, thanks for having me. 
Well, I found you through another listener and I discovered your website and your story. And I've just been so moved to read all that you're doing and writing and living and changed by how you've handled adversity and suffering. And I know our mud always marks and changes us. And and so just I want to say up front, thank you for how you are living through adversity with such grace. Thank you. That means a lot. Well, I would love to get to know you better, and I know everybody listening would. So would you just start out by sharing a little bit about you and your family and maybe some things that you're loving lately? Oh, sure. Um, I am married to Evan. We've been married for almost eight years, and we met in college and both happen to be from this area, uh, the same area, even though we had never met before. And uh, we have a son who just turned six, Connor, and our daughter, Brenna, will be four in December. And we live in central Illinois. We are just an average family who, you know, had our world shaken up a little bit um, after Brenna was born. And um, every day brings new challenges, which I will obviously talk about that in a minute. But We're just, you know, loving being a family right now. How fun is that that you grew up in the same area and you didn't even know each other? I know. It worked out really well because we have all kinds of grandparents willing to watch our kids. Wow. And so you've (laughs) just stayed in that community. That's just such a beautiful thing to have so much history in one place. Yes, we love it here. Yeah. My where I grew up in Central California, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. They've, oh, I, I think awesome. they bought it when I was 18 months old. And so when we go home to my house, it's really home. Like my bedroom yes. is my bedroom <laughs> from all those years, you know. Yeah. In fact, I think it still has some of uh, the same wallpaper. It's kind of <laughs> funny, but um, there's there's richness and comfort in history in a place. And I love that that, that happened for you guys. That's Definitely. beautiful. Yeah. Well, your story uh, has to do with your daughter, Brenna, and the unexpected circumstances surrounding her birth and her sweet four years that she's been with you. And so would you take us back to maybe the pregnancy or even before the pregnancy or maybe some ways, you know, in early married life or even before you met Evan that you really feel like God prepared you with certain experiences or encounters with others or with him that kind of set the stage for what would happen the day Brenna was born? Well, I have to tell you this story. I don't even think I've ever told anyone this story before. But before we even had kids, Evan and I were driving one time, and I can even picture the exact spot. And I said, I just feel like that we might have a child with special needs. And he said, well, I hope that if God is going to create a child with special needs who needs parents, then um, I hope it's us because I think that we can do it. And I've never even told Mm. anyone that before. And it was just one of those things that I kind of forgot about. And we had our son, Connor, and um, we were pretty young. I was 25 and Evan was 24. And when we got pregnant a second time, we found out we were having a little girl and we just thought that was such a perfect completion to our family. You know, a boy and a girl, everyone kind of thinks that's the perfect little <laughs> quintessential family. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, we did want more kids after that, but um, we were just elated when we found out we were having a daughter. And my pregnancy was very typical. The one thing that I, um, looking back now that I can see that wasn't typical was that um, she didn't move very much or if she did move it was well she she moved a lot but it was light fluttery movements it Mm -hmm. wasn't those rolling jabs that um, a lot of you know most babies do now before you go on there I just want to know before you even got pregnant with Brenna or even Connor had you can you remember a time where you really sensed you had faced deep life-changing adversity or had life for you pretty much like describe to us what life had been like prior to to this new life-changing event that was going to come what what was your frame of reference in your state because a lot of us don't have a lot of trauma right I and I was the same way life was so easy um and 
you know, I am so lucky because of that, but my parents worked very hard. Um, we were, you know, fairly well off and, you know, I went to, uh, to private schools. I went to college, my dad paid for college and, you know, everything was just the, the stress was in my life was just a typical, you know, deadline of exams kind of stress. It wasn't anything to face adversity, you know? Mm. So when we got pregnant and then when we had Brenna, it was this huge um, shock because we had never faced that kind of adversity before. Yeah, that can be a big, big shock. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, sometimes in middle America, in Western culture, what we think is hard is not um, anything compared to what some other people are facing on other continents of the world. And yet falling into a comparison of whose suffering is worse is really not helpful or profitable because we're living our one life right here where we are. And so it's not helpful to minimize our suffering, no matter how small it is. I mean, exams in college are, (laughs) you know, life changing and, and, uh, you know, for you. And so I want, I want us all together to be mindful that comparing suffering is never, um, helpful for us or for our compassion, for our, our hearts to grow in compassion for others because it creates a, a different... Um, it's, right. I, I know it's, what you mean because um, a lot of people say to me, well, I thought I had problems until I read your story. But that's completely inaccurate. Um, that's a completely wrong way to look at everyone's problem. I mean, everyone has problems and um, we are all just trying to do our best. Yeah, I think you're right. And so as we start into your story, I just wanted to make sure that we highlighted that because we all are in this together. We all face suffering. It's a universal human condition. Okay, so I have to tell you, I am a labor and delivery nurse, which you may not know. Really? I did I not know am, that. <laughs> yes. This is my 18th year as a registered nurse, and um, all 18 of them have been in labor and delivery. And so I've been present at many births. I've delivered many babies on accident, of course, because I didn't have my magic ball synced in correctly to get the doctor <laughs> there at the perfect exact time to moment. <laughs> Um, and birth is beautiful each and every time. So I also do ultrasound testing where I help high risk moms. Um, you know, I check their fluid with ultrasound and put them on the monitor and they come twice a week for testing. And I do some of those appointments. So I'm guessing when the movements, cause movement is something you were, you were talking about and, right. you know, babies moving inside really are an indication to us as medical professionals that they're doing well. And so when her movements were a little different, than you had experienced with Connor. Um, take me from there and into the rest of the pregnancy and, and that day she was born. Well, when I was about 30 some weeks along, I finally told my doctor, you know, she's just not moving very um, big. She's moving frequently enough, but um, it's just not, the movements, you know, it's a little off. And so we did a couple stress tests and everything was fine. You know, she was moving enough to alleviate their concerns. And so then, um, you know, Brenna was born at 36 weeks. So she was, you know, four weeks early. It was right before Christmas time. And I was really surprised when I went into labor because Connor was a week late and I just expected Brenna to be late too. And, um, so it was December 19th, 2011. And, um, I went into labor and Evan had actually started driving to, um, Indianapolis, which is about three hours away from us. And he had just reached Indianapolis when I told him my water had broke. So he had to turn around and come right back. Um, but he made it just in time for the birth. And I was really excited. I was thinking, I'm going to get to take her to Christmas celebrations now and pass her around. And this is all, you know, very exciting. And then uh, she was born and it happened much more quickly than when I was induced with Connor. And the, the medical staff just froze when Brenna was born and they kind of laid her on my chest and I wasn't even sure if I should touch her based on everyone's reaction she was facing away from me, but all I could see is that she had this thick covering 
Um, and I thought they just need to wipe her off. Mm-hmm. Um, like any baby has all that gunk all over it. And yeah, all that they, white vernix. Right. It's like cold exactly. cream kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the, as she started to come out, the doctor said, this is the thickest vernix I've ever seen. And so anyway, they, they just sprang into life in this panic mode and they began wiping her off and they began, um, calling over the intercom for a neonatologist and it was so overwhelming and so Mm -hmm. scary. And I thought maybe she was even stillborn or I, I wasn't even sure what was going on. And my husband almost fainted when he saw her and it was just, um, I, I can't even describe what a a panicky feeling it was. Well, because it was unknown. I mean, not right. only to you, but to the medical staff. Right. Yeah. And um, as, as they began wiping her off, I began to realize that it, that wasn't what was causing their concern, um, that she had this thick, white, cracked covering. Um, her eyelids were flipped inside out. So they almost looked bloody Mm -hmm. and her lips were inside out and you could barely make out her ears and her hands were um, in these tight clenched little fists. And finally, a neonatologist came in frantically and took her to the nursery. And then they told us um, there's something wrong with her skin. And I had never even considered a skin condition before. Um, well, who would? I mean, it's not right. on any of our radar. Exactly. Even I the mean, medical staff. Unless, I guess, you have experience with, um, you know, disabilities or health issues, I don't think you even consider that your child might be born anything other than healthy. Right. Especially when you really haven't had a reason to suspect anything in the pregnancy. I mean, I'm right. gathering this is a condition that cannot be detected by ultrasound or any other, you know, indicators because she was growing at the normal pace. Right. All of the Mm -hmm. ultrasounds looked completely normal. um, And they said that possibly they could have diagnosed it with a 3D ultrasound, but they had no reason to do that because everything else was normal. So so it was a, a very huge shock to everyone. So Brenna goes to the NICU, the neonatal intensive care, and you're mm-hmm. recovering. What did that first week look like? Well, I was at a different hospital, so that was hard. And all I wanted to do was get out of the hospital. So they did finally let me leave the next morning. And so they uh, transferred know. her to a special children's hospital? Yes, it was. Okay. And luckily, it's just down the road. So it was not far at all. But yes, it was the children's hospital the NICU there. And Mm -hmm. so the next day we were able to go and I saw her and I just, I, I couldn't stop crying every time I looked at her for the first week or so, because she was in, looked like she was in so much pain. Her skin was just cracking in these deep fissures all over her body. And she was kept on morphine for the first few weeks of her life because she was in so much pain. So she was born December 19th, and so December 24th was Christmas Eve, and the medical staff was a little worried about something, so they were running some tests that morning, but we really didn't think anything of it, and after we had um, Christmas Eve mass and celebration with our family, Evan decided to go to the NICU to say goodnight while I stayed home with Connor and got him in bed, and he called me and, and said, you know, I think um, they're waiting to get some test results back, so I'm just going to stay a little bit longer. So I went to bed, and then he called me about 11 o'clock and, and said, you need to get here right now. And so mm. I called my parents, and they came to stay with Connor, and my dad drove me to the hospital, and I think he ran every single red light. And it was determined that she had a very aggressive blood infection. Um, The doctors, they just weren't sure if they would be able to intubate her um, to help her breathing, which was rapidly decreasing um, because of her skin condition. And they couldn't put tape on her or anything like that, which is usually, they usually use tape to hold medical equipment in place, but they just couldn't do that with her. And um, I just remember we said, well, what's going to happen? And they said, 
that we need to, to be prepared to say goodbye, that they would just have to make her as comfortable as possible while she passed. Oh, my goodness. So such a oh different God. reality than the expectation of passing your newborn around at Christmas time. Right, exactly. So mm. we had uh, an emergency baptism for her on Christmas Day. And we sat by her bedside all night just waiting for different test results. And with each hour passed, she got just a little bit better, just a little bit better. And it was just enough to give us, you know, that, that little glimmer of hope that she might get through that night. And all I could think about is, please don't let my daughter die on Christmas Day. Mm. So hard. So hard. So she ended up recovering? She did. She um, she fought through that night, and she continued to um, continued on to beat that infection. And then um, she continued to thrive. I mean, the NICU was just full of ups and downs. But after five and a half weeks, they said she's ready to go home. And you know that was just cause for celebration in itself because we thought it would be months at minimum if um, if she even survived. And so we took her home when she was almost six weeks old. And that first year was so rough. Um, Let's talk about how you got through that low, because when she was, fa- you know, as medical professionals, we don't tell families that there's little hope unless we really believe that that's the case. Right. And so um, probably the infection you're talking about is like sepsis or something like that. And it just basically the bacteria go in the bloodstream and attack all the organ systems and their systems Mm -hmm. start to shut down. Right. And so I'm, I'm guessing it was the condition of her skin and the openings that were created by the skin cracking that let the infection in. Yeah. Is that what happened? Well, and they had left that central line in, in her belly button, Mm -hmm. um, which they said um, is kind of just a direct opening for For infection. infection. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your emotional state and your spiritual dependence on God in the low of this time, because Courtney, I mean, you went in there December 18th, 19th, expecting, you know, this beautiful baby girl that, uh, you know, was without special needs and you encountered and were facing a child who didn't look like the newborn you had imagined and now was facing such a traumatic health condition that she might not even survive. That seems like an indescribable emotional roller coaster you know, and a spiritual crisis. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you and Evan individually and together as a couple handled that between yourselves and with God. Well, I think what was really hard to grasp for a very long time, not not only immediately following her birth, but for a very long time afterwards, and actually probably still um, is hard to grasp some days, is that this is a lifelong condition. It's not like we went into the NICU just hoping that she would grow big and strong and be able then to go Mm -hmm. on our merry way, Um, that this was lifelong and forever. And um, so if she survived the neonatal state, um, you know, it it would always be a battle to keep her healthy and keep her alive. And it has been. But yeah, I feel like there's a place in your life where the only way that you can look is up to God. And when we were sitting there with her in the NICU, that's all we had to cling to is each other and to God. And so we did. And I feel like this entire experience over the last four years has only strengthened our marriage and only strengthened our faith. We asked not why us. We asked why not us. You know, Mm. we knew that there, Evan had a relative who came to us in the very beginning of Brenna's life and said, I haven't talked to God in years, but I've been praying for Brenna. Hmm. And it was in that moment that we knew 
that God had a very special purpose for Brenna's life um, to bring people closer to him. Hmm. And we have always believed that and clung to that. And I think that has, you know, alleviated any fears that we've had about her life because we know that her life and our lives are in his hands. And because of that, we can find strength in him through all of the suffering that, you know, she has gone through, um, the different surgeries and infections and just plain hardships. We know that he is there with us. So I'm hearing you say that you chose hope. You chose God's goodness. You chose to trust that he has a plan that maybe you didn't like or understand. Right. I think... But it's a surrendering, isn't it? A lot of people say to us, God gives you what you can handle. And I'm I'm just not... I don't really like that phrase because I think if we could handle it, we wouldn't need God. Mm. Um, I think... Um, it's not like hardships are just doled out based on who can handle what, but I think that life happens and what God gives us is the opportunity to rely on him and everything. Um, I think you're totally right. And not only to rely on him and everything, but he in his sovereign plan knows what we need to become more like him and for him to be most glorified in the world. Exactly. And for the most, amount of people to be drawn to him through our stories and our lives, because we are the light of the world here on this earth. We are his light, the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, you know, suffering, I think is a, one of the, this sounds terrible to say, but I think in the place where I am in life, I'm coming to really grasp the idea that God giving these kind of circumstances that are so horrifically hard is really him loving us enough and trusting us enough to know that when he gives it, we will turn to him and we will become more like Jesus in the process because we said yes to him in the suffering. Yeah. Well, So Brenna eventually was released from the hospital, but Mm -hmm. before we go on into that first year, I think it would be really great for you to explain to all of us, what is the condition that Brenna has? What is it called? And educate us a little bit about what the implications of it are, because as you explain what it is, then that naturally leads us to need to understand what is required to keep her healthy and to keep her safe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's multifaceted, which leads into the care of the first year. So if you can educate us a bit, Miss Courtney. Okay. Her, Brenna's condition is called Harlequin ichthyosis. And it's very rare. There's um, probably about 20 people in the United States with it. Um, there are various kinds of ichthyosis, but Harlequin is the most severe type. And what it means is that her body lacks a protein that helps her skin form correctly. And her body recognizes this air and tries to make up for it by producing too much skin. So she makes skin about 10 times faster than we do, and she just can't shed it quickly enough. So she's left with very dry, flaky, um, peeling skin. It looks like a sunburn all over her body. Mm. And um, what this means is that her skin doesn't do the jobs that it should. Um, Our skin helps regulate our body temperature, and hers doesn't do this. She can't even sweat. Um, Our skin helps keep us hydrated, and our skin keeps out bacteria, which her skin does not do, so she can get skin infections really easily. Mm. And um, another thing that her um, body does is that her skin produces so quickly that it kills off her hair, hair follicles. So she doesn't have a lot of hair. It's very sparse. And when we got pregnant with a little girl, all we could envision was this little creature with blonde pigtails running around. Um, And, you know, Evan met the doctors the first night. Brenna was in the NICU when I was still at the hospital. And all he could do was just sob. Like, I thought she would have pigtails. And now mm. she's lying, dying in a isolate in the NICU. Mm-hmm. And 
as um, time went on, you know, hair is obviously not important and never was to us. Um, but it was just one of those reminders of the way things didn't happen. And as she grew older, Brenna started to um, get a little bit of hair here and there. And um, Evan's always just taken such good care of her hair. <laughs> he sits in the bath and just combs the, the skin out of her hair. And um, so she has these little tufts all over now. And one night in the bathtub, he called me in to say, look at this. And he had twisted two little pigtails Aww. on the side of her head. And we so just thought it was sweet. the cutest Aww. thing ever. And we took pictures and she was just proudly patting her head. And, um, and it was just in that moment that I realized that, um, you know, life wasn't exactly what we thought it was going to look like, um, just like the pigtails, but mm -hmm. it was so much more beautiful. And just mm -hmm. that celebration in that mm -hmm. moment um, where she was so proud of her hair and we were taking pictures, you know, putting pigtails in her hair was just so much more special than we could have yeah. ever imagined. And I think so much of life is like that when we forget about our expectations that didn't happen and we can focus on the beauty of how our life actually is. Um, that's when we really learn how to celebrate God in our lives. Right. And, and it could be had Brenna not had this condition, a pigtail would have been no big deal. In fact, you may have been annoyed that you had to wake <laughs> exactly. up and do her hair every day. You know, when is this exactly. kid going to be able to do her own hair? You know, right? I can say that because I have a 13 year old and uh, she's <laughs> still mastering the art of a ponytail. Yeah. Um, but what heightened awareness to the small moments and giving thanks for them um, I love what you said about seeing what is instead of wishing for what would have been. Right. And wow, what a lesson for us all to to pause and appreciate. I mean, we hear people say that all the time, appreciate the small moments. And it seems like it's really cliche. Uh, and yet cliches are cliches because they're mostly true. <laughs> right. You know, um, and sometimes it is easy just to get going in life and forget about the the little things but um, Brenna's birth and um, childhood has just completely rearranged um, and redefined uh, my sense of you know the beautiful the small moments and the mm -hmm. beautiful in our lives yeah um, well and even the small moments of how the effects of the skin condition normally have on children who have this or people who have this right. and some ways that medical advances have been able to help maneuver and navigate you all through this condition because a lot of these children didn't survive you know right. 50 years ago would you yeah. say you know yeah the oldest living person is 30 so um yeah you know yeah, kids just did not survive with this condition. So modern medicine has just been a wonderful thing for us, obviously. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, as you were describing the effects and how it affects you guys in uh, practical ways, um, talk to us a little bit about the um, ways that because the skin is is reproducing so quickly, I think you had written that it it makes she makes as much skin in one day as you and I would make in two weeks, right. something like that. So that's mm -hmm. that's a lot, and yes. um, yeah, and and so that affects how their features form and also their nutritional demand. Can right. you tell us a little bit about that and what that looked like in the first year? Because I'm gathering all these effects. That's what made the first year learning curve of how to care for her so challenging. Right. When I first heard skin condition, I thought she would just look different. And I had no idea how, um, what an incredible role the skin plays for our body. Yeah. So it's like our she, biggest organ, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And so because she makes skin too fast for her body to shed it, we kind of essentially shed it for her. So she takes a really long daily bath. And we just exfoliate all over her body. So we kind of <laughs> Miss Brenna goes to the spa every day. <laughs> yes, basically. We have a special bathtub for it. It's amazing. Um, and then about four or five times a day, we put Aquaphor ointment all over her body. So she looks very shiny. And uh, Aquaphor gets everywhere, all over my clothes, all over our house. Um, but it's, So it's, it's like an oil-based yeah, ointment, it's right? Like gasoline. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, 
And then, you know, obviously we have to be very careful with germs and with temperature. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I envision summer days at the pool, but that just doesn't happen for our family, which is Mm -hmm. fine. Um, The kids love the museum and the library, so we'll take it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she peels a lot and skin flakes are all over our house too. And it's just one of those things that we see a a streak of aquifer going down the hallway and we just smile now because we know Brenna was there. Right. That's life. That's a representation (laughs) of life. And to make so much skin, a person needs a lot of calories, right? Yes. Yes. I always forget that part. Yes. She eats like I do. And she grows so slowly. She's about the size of her 15 month old cousin and she's three and a half. So um, she had to get a feeding tube placed when she was eight months old because she just wasn't able to keep up with her nutritional demands. Yeah. Well, a little person can't chew that much. Goodness. That would be hard. So um, for about 18 months, she was completely fed by tube. And then we started to wean her from it because I just knew that she could I knew she could eat and it was, it was quite a process at first, but sure, yeah. she discovered pizza. And, <laughs> Her and taste buds kicked and, in. Yes. And so she, um, yeah, she stopped using her tube last summer and we just got it taken out this summer, almost three years to the day that we had it put in. So, wow. um, yeah, we're so proud of, uh, how far she has come. Amazing. Just amazing. So the practical things as a mom that you've had to learn are really huge compared to your friends and their kids, I'm guessing. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit what it's about how that's gone. And, you know, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about reactions and when when we're different than others and society Mm -hmm. and and how we can love better but before we do that tell us about practically what it's looked like and and how how Connor's responded and (laughs) and just the practical everyday ways that you uh, you know interact well um Connor was not even two and a half when Brenna was born so you know this is all he knows and I think he didn't even discover what that even meant that she had different skin until he was about five. So um, it is not something that we talk about very much just because it's a non-issue in our house. And most of our friends have kids who are younger than ours. So it's they've always seen Brenna as how she is. And um, she's just Brenna in our lives. And I think that I think that's how it should be. We try to make it as less of a an issue as possible because it's not. Right. So Courtney, realistically, Brenna in appearance is different than other children her age. Mm -hmm. And so obviously you've had to maneuver places like church and school and the store and the mall and play dates and interactions. And I'm guessing, you know, anytime we talk about a special need or some difference, unfortunately, there have been painful experiences. So yes, many. I'm, I'm wondering if you can share with us in an effort for us to learn what to say and what to do, because I will tell you, I think as another fellow parent, when we encounter children who are disabled or look differently than us or even adults, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to know what to say. It's hard to know how to interact. And even the most loving, well-intended people are at a loss for words to know, do I say something about the obvious? Do I not? If I do say something, what should I say? What's really bad to say? So could you just help us, help teach us what it is we should do, how we should react, how we can love better, and how we can teach our kids to do that too? Oh, this is so hard. I feel like I'm still learning so much every day with each new experience and reaction. Um, I will start by saying that my favorite reaction is if someone just treats us like any other person, family, kid, because that's what we are. Um, And I know that people are curious, um, but I'm curious about a lot of things that I don't ask. Mm -hmm. So um, my initial, as an adult, um, my initial response would would just be just to say hi and treat them like any other family or kid that you would see. But I know that kids are a completely different story. 
and um, kids, they, they just don't have the filters that adults have, right. which is great. They're learning about their world. And I think that is very important too. And so I understand when kids point or ask questions and that happens everywhere we go. I'm sure. Um, you know, or stairs, stairs, yeah. lots of stairs. Um, mom, why is that baby so red? Mom, look at that little girl. Um, look at that baby, you know, everywhere we go. And yeah. what I have come to decide is that it makes it worse, I think, when parents clap their hands over their kids' mouths and run away. That makes the child think that they did something wrong, that it's that we're scary, that we shouldn't talk, you know, they shouldn't talk to us. And that that makes us feel um, that we are outcasts. And I know this is very hard, but whereas um, maybe they're thinking, oh, my kid was just so rude. I'm so embarrassed. embarrassed. I don't want to make a big deal or make them feel bad. But really, that that is what makes you feel bad. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the worst thing that a child has ever said to me was also handled the best from a parent in my experience. Mm. We were at a family reunion and we were with distant cousins we had never met before. And there was a little girl who was about eight. And she said, why does your baby look like that? And I said, well, she was born with special skin. I just try to keep it as simple, simple as yeah. possible. Yeah. And she said, well, that really creeps me out. And <laughs> Oh, no. And I was, you know, and Brenna's sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and her mom's sitting there. And typically a mom would probably just run, you know, <laughs> grab her, take Get her kid out of here. Yeah, say, I yeah. need to talk to you or whatever. But the mom said, so-and-so, that was extremely rude, and you know it. What do you say? And the little girl said, I'm sorry. And then right in front of us, her mom said, you know, explained about Brenna's skin, and the little girl was not intimidated anymore. And we continued to play, and by the end of the night, the little girl said, she's really cute. So I feel like because Mm. they didn't – run away from us and shy away from mm-hmm. the conversation that we were able to keep that conversation going, explain it to her and then move on um, so that we could get to know them even better. And a lot of people, as they try to remedy the situation because they're extremely embarrassed, um, they, they close that conversation off and not everyone wants to be asked about it. And I don't encourage you to approach people maybe and ask about it. But just keep that conversation open with your kids. And then um, if that the person who is disabled or looks different wants to explain, they are then able to. But if you close off that conversation and run away, you're not helping anyone. Right. Um, and then it, it exacerbates the person who is different having yes. a feeling of shame. Right. Like I'm not. I'm not good enough. I I think the hard thing, I mean, when you say the advice of saying hi and treating you the same as Mm -hmm. if Brenna didn't look different, I think the hard thing about that is I want to love and I want to like say a person comes to the table with the heart intent to want to love and be accepting and wants to allow you to be seen and wants to validate your worth and your belonging and, you know, just all the good things that we should be doing for each other. Mm-hmm. And yet to not bring up the proverbial elephant in the room of the difference, it's tempting for me to feel like would they feel like I'm not acknowledging it or not caring or not interested or not, um, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to be supportive and informed and not ignorant. I would hate to pretend like nothing's there when it is. And then for you to go away feeling like I didn't care. So help me through that because while we don't want to be rude and make you share each and every time, cause that seems like it's only one right. time when I'm talking to you, but maybe yeah. you met 10 people that day and you're just flat out tired of explaining it. And yet I don't know. I'm the 10th person, you know, I just want you to not think that I don't care. So what, what would you say to somebody like, like me in that position? That, that we all have challenges. It's just some are on the outside and I think that there's so much more to someone who looks different or is disabled than that one thing. And so 
you don't have to necessarily address it. You both know that you can see it. Um, And if you just treat them like any other person, I mean, you wouldn't go up to someone who has an extremely large nose and say, I just, I'm sorry, I just can't help. We need to talk about your nose. You know? Um, Oh, that's so so true. (laughs) um, So I think that we just need to realize there's a lot more to people besides the one thing that we can see. And we need to look into their hearts first and foremost, as we get to know them and and touch those points of connection before we even feel that that person should be obligated to tell us why they're in a wheelchair. Um, If you know, sometimes it's a very private matter. um, And sometimes it's not and some people feel comfortable sharing and some people don't. And I think that needs to be, you know, respected. Yeah, such good points. Because in the context of relationship is where the conversation is optimally going to occur. So so that's what I'm hearing you say, you know, let's focus on um, the points we have in common, the points we have in common rather than the points that are different. And I'm, it's my hope that the love and concern and well intent would come across to you. And then in the context of more relationship, it might be a safer, more, um, more willing thing for you to want to share about Mm -hmm. it instead of it being the only thing that gets discussed is what I'm hearing. Right. right? Exactly. Like, for example, if I were swinging next to your kid at the park, and you just started a conversation with me and we're talking about our day and you're saying, Oh my gosh, this is just beautiful weather. And I would say, I know, um, I'm just thrilled because my daughter has a skin condition where she can't sweat. And so on days like this, we love to get outside because there's no risk of her overheating. And mm. then we can continue that conversation. And it's, you know, you don't feel like you're prying or right. um, focused on her skin. But now you know why right. it looks the way it does. Um, and I, you know, and then we can just continue connecting like that. All in natural conversation. Yes. Okay. So Courtney, tell, let's talk to the person who is you, who has a child or a sister or a mother or someone with a disability or who looks or appears differently. Because Mm -hmm. in that example, swinging at the park, you chose to embrace the warmth that was extended to you. And you chose to give a little piece back by including that in why you're thankful for that day. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're so glad to be at the park because my daughter has a condition where she can't sweat and the temperature is ideal for today. You didn't have to include that. Right. You could have not included that. And, And I'm guessing... The more grief, because you've you've had an experience where you had an unmet expectation. Your expectation of who you thought your daughter would be is not who she is. And mm-hmm. yet who she is has become the most beautiful thing to you, even though it's hard. Right. And yet there was grieving that happened. You know, you've had some years to grieve the loss of what you thought would be and embrace what is. And you have a perspective where you're looking to God for that strength and comfort and reassurance, too. So you've done some internal work to be really some grief, some acceptance, some being okay in your own skin as a mom, having a child that does look differently. You are coming to the table with a normal conversation and being willing to be seen too. So can you talk to that person out there today who is living a life of having to grieve normal, having to, you know, walk through a muddy situation where they have normal everyday people who don't face the same adversity interacting, how do they decide to show up and be seen and vulnerable and integrate something like that into a conversation? Because you could choose to be closed and angry and resentful. I think that it's an ongoing process. It's not something that I have come to one point and been fine from here on out. I think it's an everyday thing and I still go through ups and downs mm-hmm. as I, you know, sometimes in the summer my Facebook feed is filled with kids at the pool and at summer camp and that's just not reality for us. Yeah. Um, and that, that can be really hard, but um, I think that um, continually choosing God and choosing joy and like you said, that kind of sounds cliche sometimes because everyone uses 
choose kindness and choose joy right now, but it, it truly is a choice that you make. And, um, love is a choice that you make sometimes. Um, and I think that kindness is something that we just continue to create. Um, it's like an art that we just continue to create every day and we just can build on that. And I'm not even sure where I'm going now with this, but, it's okay. um, well, but. you're helping you're helping people who are grieving and understanding the mourning process, how they can decide to choose to be vulnerable. Because I think in interacting with one another in these difficult situations where people are different than we are, um, and it could be a myriad of differences. It doesn't even mm-hmm. have to be physical disability. But my point is we both have to come to the table with willingness to be vulnerable and willingness to yes. be seen and willingness to give love because I can do as much as I can to not, you know, bring it up or just to act normally. But if you don't give me anything back because you're too closed or angry or resentful, yes. then I kind of walk away going, oh, did I do the right thing? I didn't mention it? Is she mad? You know, it's just so hard. And so I think it's a, it's a ebbing and flow, but I think it helps to remember that we are all different. Someone who is going through something or looks different or has a disability are not the different ones. Uh, We are all different. I think that we are all created by God to fulfill a very distinct purpose. And that's why he equips us with our different personalities and our different looks and our different gifts. And I think that that's important to remember as we go out and make connections with others around us, that uh, we all have something to offer. Yeah, we do. And we should be for each other, not against each other. And don't you think lots and lots and lots of grace? (laughs) Yes, lots of grace. Lots of grace. (laughs) Yeah. Um, People say some very ignorant things to me about Brenna. And mm-hmm. I have just always tried to give grace because a lot of people have given grace to me and God especially has given a lot of grace to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And I think what we don't know can hurt us. And I think it's important to educate and to connect so that we can raise awareness about mm-hmm. things like Brenna's condition, but also just to share with each other. And I think we do a huge disservice when we go in to meet people, um, if all we do is criticize or compare or compete, but it yeah. is when we choose to actually connect or find those points of connection mm-hmm. that we can really start to build beautiful relationships. I think you're absolutely right. And to your credit, you know, I think just some of the little things that I was reading on your site that you do, I mean, you've, you sometimes just up front will do an explanation if it's like a class or a group or Mm -hmm. you have little cards that explain things because don't you find once that is out of the way, um, relationship can just happen organically if, you know, and, and so to your credit, you've brought awareness in ways that, are really daring and no fear. And I think we could learn a lot from that, you know, no matter what our difference is, because, you know, we all, like you said, have a, have differences and, you know, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I love what you're doing and how people are um, supporting your story and your life. Tell us some exciting things that are happening in the future surrounding um, Brenna's story, your writing. I know you're a photographer. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about some things that are on the horizon. And I know you have a children's book and stuff like that. Yes, And then uh, where we can find you online if they want to follow your story and your message. Okay. Well, I released um, a children's book in 2013. It's called That's How You Know. And it's about Um, reassuring children of of God's everlasting love for them. And that can be found on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. My blog is blessedbybrenna.com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And I just, I love sharing little pieces of our lives to encourage others. And in April, I signed a contract for a book that will be released next year, August, September timeframe. So I'm currently writing that right now. And I'm very excited Mm. to see where God takes um, our experiences and and my words and puts it out into the world. Mm, Beautiful. I'm so excited for that. Yes, me too. (laughs) I'm so glad you came to talk to me and I didn't make me wait until then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, and tell us a little bit of an update on how your family's doing, how Brenna's doing at almost four. Is she four yet? December. Yeah, She'll December. be four. Yep. She'll yeah. Be four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how's she doing? She is doing well. She um, had a really rough August. She had a couple surgeries and was in the hospital for eight days, and it was just one of those times that I was just reaching for God. Um, where are you in this? And, you know, I know you're right here with me, but please take away her pain. You know, um, do they have to release some of the areas of her skin if it impedes on, you know, like I know the eyelid surgery she had in the beginning. She did. She had, um, eyelid surgery to actually, they took skin from behind her ears and added it to her eyelids to basically create eyelids because they, cause it was tight and pulling them up. Yeah. 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 Right. So now it's just the daily bath just helps with that. In August, she had surgery to have her G-tube site closed. Um, So we are done with the G-tube now. And a blessing, um, but hard. I mean, any surgery is hard. Yeah. Yes, it was very hard because the first one failed and then we had to do a more invasive one. Mm. So um, but she just started her second semester of preschool and Connor just started kindergarten. So they're at the same school and it's just been very exciting for them. And she's just doing really well. Uh, Well, how can we pray for you and your family? Pray for me because she's three and she is <laughs> such a force right now. <laughs> yeah, what's her personality like? Her oh, and Connor, she, are they similar or different? No, Connor is such an easygoing, laid back, like homebody. <laughs> and Brenna is just a feisty spitfire. Oh. She is very outgoing and social and she is attached to me so closely. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, Evan always says like, this is, her personality, this is why she's alive today because she, um, is such a spitfire. And, um, I think I, I mean, even though it's killing me right now that she fights me so much on what kind of shoes she's going to wear and things (laughs) like that, I just know that she's going to be ready to take on the world when she's older and she's always going to be able to stand up for herself. So that makes me happy that she is fighting me right now. Yeah. You can give thanks for that. Well, before you go, um, you know, I'll put all the links to all the places they can track you down. But one of the really beautiful things that I, uh, that resonated with me about your story was the community that you found uh, with other children and people who have Harlequin ichthyosis. Can you just in closing, share with us how you got to meet, how Brenna got to meet other people and kids who had this happen. And some of those people are, you know, one lady had her own children already. Like there's just so much hope and, and, uh, and good goodness ahead. Well, I started my blog when Brenna was four days old and through that blog and through, um, the, there's a foundation for ichthyosis and related skin types, which we call first through that other families affected with ichthyosis started finding us. And so we started connecting with different people all over the world who also have um, Brenna's condition. And one of those people is Stephanie in Arkansas, and she is 21 or 22 now, and she has two healthy babies. Mm. And yay, <laughs> we got to meet her when she, um, two years ago, and she's just given us so much hope about what Brenna can do. And she has a wonderful husband um, who is not affected. And we had a family conference last year with First, and we got to meet six or seven other children with um, the exact same skin condition, which was just amazing. Wow. That's incredible. And to to be reminded, I mean, as a nurse, I want to remind the audience that the condition that Brenna has is an autosomal recessive condition. So the chances of anyone having that combo with two of the recessives together again are very, very small. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's just something beautiful about being able to relate and to know that you're not alone. And I love that. I hope exactly. that who's ever out there, whatever we're facing, we would reach out to those who are like us. And, um, you know, I try to do that with this podcast for all of us who are facing mud, who are suffering to know that our mud 
looks different in each of our lives, but there's an undercurrent, a pedal tone of similarity and camaraderie and humanness that we all share. And that is whatever we're facing, we have a loving God who is for us and who is with us, who has a plan for us as we surrender to Him, making us more like Him. And so uh, you're doing that with your family just so beautifully. And it's my hope today, and I know it's your hope, that whoever is listening, that they would be um, encouraged and inspired that God is going to meet them exactly where they are. And uh, redemption is His in all things. So... Amen. <laughs> yeah. It's just sometimes we don't see that redemption on this side of earth, you know, right. on this side. That's what so, faith is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining me today. I've loved talking to you and your faith and just what you've offered has inspired me. And and uh, I'm just so thankful. So I hope you have thank an amazing day. Thank you for having day. me. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, have a great, great week. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm so glad you joined me today. And I hope that this story helped redirect you to find that even just one thing that you can be thankful for today, Uh, no matter how hard our circumstances, no matter what we're facing, we can know and trust that God is with us. He's near if we call on him. He's faithful to meet us in the deepest, darkest, muddiest places. And he wants us to know the love and friendship of his companionship with us. And he's just waiting for us to turn to him and say, Lord, be with me. Help me see you even in this. And uh, it's my prayer this week as you celebrate Thanksgiving with your family, if you are here in the United States and abroad as you celebrate thanks in general. I just pray that as you give thanks, you would experience the profound joy that comes when we choose to focus on what we're thankful for. You can find all the show notes to this episode over at the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 68. And I would love so much if you would go over to iTunes and subscribe to this show, give a rating and review, even just one little sentence, and share this podcast with a friend. I know everyone has a story. Everyone has some muddy place that they're facing. And, you know, maybe you never know who would be blessed by hearing the story of these brave and magnificent people who bear their souls each and every week to share with us transparently the muddy journey they've been on and how God has met them in it. You know, I believe in our stories. I believe our stories set us free and sharing our stories can edify each and every one of us and lift us up and help us not feel alone. And to my dying day, I will champion the stories that God has given us in our lives and that we should be sharing them with each other. And so maybe there's somebody this week you could share your story with. You never know who could be blessed and encouraged by where you've been and what you've faced. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. You bless me so much. Thank you for your notes and your emails and your tweets and all the things. And I am praying that you have a beautiful and blessed Thanksgiving with those you love. So whatever it is you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful, beautiful week. A never-ending mob feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. A never ending mother feels a press upon my mind. Shame 
song 